seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The parable of the laborers of the vineyard teaches you that God has saved you by his grace alone, which is in Christ and his work for you. That's what's so great about this Sunday in the church here. Salvation by grace alone. Well, every Sunday is about that, I guess. But when you hear this today, you see Jesus crucified and risen for you. And that God doesn't treat you as you deserve to be treated. And that's what the master of the vineyard, your Lord, has done out of his generosity. And it's righteous that he does so, even as he himself is the righteous one. For his work is your salvation for all people. And as we look at this text then, we see there are two warnings, two dangers that the devil, the world, and our own fallen flesh want us to fall into when we listen to Jesus this morning. And they both come back to that point that when you lose sight of and begrudge the master's generosity, or more accurately, as the Greek puts it, your eye is evil because he is good. And that's because the old man, the sinner in us, it doesn't want God to be generous. So that first danger is we don't want to give to others the, God to give to others the same that he's given to us. Well, maybe I should caveat that. Okay, we're fine with people we love, people we like, and maybe people we can tolerate. But then we think about people who have sinned against us in some way, maybe a terrible way, an unspeakable way. For those people, we have the mindset of Jonah that doesn't want God's word to be preached because we know he works repentance. We want them to remain outside the vineyard. So we rejoice then as this life goes on in each hour that passes and they are called into the vineyard. And we look forward to the end of the day and hope in the darkest places of our hearts that when we line up to get our denarius by the master, they won't be in that line of laborers. Don't think we do this? Well, ask yourself these couple of questions. How often do I think about and hope for the success of other people? How often do I pray for my enemies? When I think of their faces, those who persecute me, those who sin against me, people I hate, I despise, even though God tells me not to do those things, and I see them and I know them, and rather than turning my heart against them, I actually pray for them. That's the evil eye from an evil heart. You don't want the generosity of the master. Remember who you are in all of this, though. Because, you see, you need that same generosity. You need that same grace. So repent. Pray for others. Forgive them. Confess the faith to them. Now, the other thing going on as well and tempting for us is to forget about when we hear this reading. The laborers are working. They're laborers, after all. So all of them are working in the vineyard of the Lord. And in fact, the master keeps calling more men throughout the day to work in his vineyard. So how in the world, then, does work play such an important part of this parable if it's all about grace? Our Luther minds explode anytime work gets mentioned. But it's a good question. 
and oftentimes it's answered incorrectly. In fact, there's a whole article of our Lutheran Confessions, Article 4 of the Formula of Concord, which dealt with a pretty nasty controversy about the role of good works in the lives of Christians. And it boiled down, and it's oversimplifying it, but to an error that taught that if good works aren't necessary for salvation, one teacher taught then they must be detrimental to salvation. Now, clearly now, in hindsight, we look at that, that's wrong. That jump can't be made because the scriptures don't teach this. But rather, they teach that Christians are to be doing good works in their lives as God instructs them. They're a fruit of faith. We just sang that a few minutes ago in that great hymn about grace. Work, serve our neighbor, and supply the proof that faith is living. So then, this is where, in this other dimension of this, our gospel reading gets us to think about the role of works, which is in the backdrop, the background, of God teaching salvation by grace alone. So here again, what Jesus lays out in this scenario of the parable. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is a day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And going on about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, or literally righteous, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So our sinful nature doesn't think it's fair that those who worked only at the end, the eleventh hour, where that phrase comes from, right? At the eleventh hour, at the end get the same wage as those who worked all day. And the 11th hour, by the way, is about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, quitting time for the day, right? And why is that? Why do we, does that just rub us the wrong way? Well, as I said a few minutes ago, deep down we don't want God to show generosity. But another element in this, too, is the fact that we get jealous when others don't have to do the same work that we've do, had to do. Or if the work that they had assigned to them is easier, in a sense, than what we have been given to do. Because when we're honest with ourselves, we'd rather be those who didn't have to work all day in the scorching heat. Now, somewhat of this sentiment we have seen in the past few years during this whole ordeal with the pandemic. It's symptomatic of this fact of we'd rather be the ones not working. There was a a professor that I, I had in my doctoral program who wrote an article about this, and he brought up this point. He said, one thing that this pandemic has sadly taught too many people in the church is what unbelievers had known and loved for years, the secret that they have. It's nice to sleep in on Sunday morning. It's nice to do something else. It's nice when you don't get up, get your kids moving, fight with them to get ready, make sure they eat their breakfast, and then sit down in church even when they're fighting against you to do that. That's hard work. It's much easier to not go. Or even just to sit on a couch and say, well, I'll watch this virtually on my own time. But you see how that works? So for those of you, which is the majority of here who were baptized as an infant. You've been in the church your whole life. You've endured things like this, such as the work and commitment of getting up on Sunday, taking time out of your weekend. Maybe you've worked a long shift 
the night before and it's, you're tired as you sit here in this place, or you think about how in your life you've sacrificed to follow what God says, while there are those who have been sitting idle by, not paying any attention, one iota, one care in the world for the kingdom of God. And then sin, that ugly thing that hangs around our necks, starts to redefine these things. And it says, these are burdens. Is it really worth it? And then you resent God. And the devil sees that, and he sees that as an opportunity to pounce, to draw your eyes and lift them away, your eyes from the plow and think the grass is greener on the other side, or rather, things outside the vineyard are much easier. But don't be fooled. When God has called you into the Christian faith, he doesn't call you to be idle. He doesn't call you to be lazy. It doesn't mean these things save you, but as a Christian, you look at this all differently. God calls you into the vineyard, and he frees you to serve him as he has assigned you different tasks to do. We call these things vocations. And they're ordered in the three estates of the church, the family, and society. And God has given specific tasks and vocations to do for the sake of your neighbors and for the sake of the vineyard, the sake of his church. And to be sure, not all work is the same. Some of it is a burden at times. Some of it is a cross to bear that's harder. And some of it is very tough. It's backbreaking. The scorching heat is just that. It's the scorching heat. But lest we forget, Adam was given work to do before the fall into sin as God assigned him to tend the garden and give names to the animals. Work is not sinful, nor is it bad. We, though, since the fall, would be those rather sitting idle by and not do what has been, we have been called to do. And we might even try to institutionalize it. We might try to rationalize things. Well, I can't wait to the day when I no longer have to work. Then I'll really be free to live. But being a person has work assigned to it. The Lord worked, and he still works. Being a Christian has work assigned to it. God teaches you then to crucify that old lazy self and to rise to the new man who has been freed and called into the vineyard. So St. Paul brings up this notion as well in disciplining our bodies in the epistle reading. He writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he mentions this self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, listed in Galatians. It's something God produces in our faith. And he speaks about it for the sake of something, receiving the imperishable wreath. You know, this being Super Bowl Sunday, you think about, in a few hours, right, two teams, guys who have practiced their whole lives, they've disciplined their bodies, they've done all of these things for this football game, for something, for a piece of metal, for a trophy. And while that's commendable, they have a lot of talent, Paul is directing us to think about what we have, an imperishable wreath, something that doesn't fade away something that you don't have to compete for the next year to defend that trophy. 
So he's speaking about this for the sake of who we are, that our eyes are fixed on the one who calls us, rather than just simply going through the motions, paying lip service to God as one boxing the air with no real purpose. No, God calls you to run the race, fight the good fight, to take up your cross and follow him, to turn from your sin and desire the things above, the things which are true, good, and beautiful. He calls you to delight in what we have been given to do by the one who has saved you from everlasting meaningless. He calls you into his vineyard, and you are his laborer. However that may be, and forever how long that may be as well. So that brings us then back to the parable. The generosity of the master is great. And thanks be to God for that wonderful mercy found in Christ. Because the days may be long at times. The work may be hard. But you promise your, the promise of the master and it's good and righteous what he has promised. Because you know the one who did the work you cannot do. The one who has paid the price that you owe but cannot fully pay. Because you know Christ and his promises and they look toward the end of the day when no one can work any longer. You look forward to that day when you stand before the Lord and with your own calloused hands from the labor that he's given you to do and the sweat dripping from your brows that the Lord has appointed for the, your task. That what he sees when he sees those things is instead the crucified hands of the Son, the parched lips of the one who thirsted on the cross, the blood dripping from his thorn-pierced hand, head from the work that he was given to do. So you find your confidence solely and completely in him and know the promise that you will see the day of glory where your joy is complete because of Christ, the Lord says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And we reply, I've only done what is my duty. And on that day, we too will look around and we'll see those who may have only been working for a short time, perhaps only for a few hours or a few moments, but we will share in their joy. You will see those who have sinned against you and God worked repentance. The martyrs of the faith will stand shoulder to shoulder with some of those same people who brought about their earthly end. That's the uniqueness of the Christian gospel, that the same people who killed the martyrs of the faith rejoice before the throne of God with those same people who killed them, those who God called to repentance. And you, you, you will stand together around the throne of the Lamb, wash clean in his blood, and you will sing his praises for he's done marvelous things, not just for you, but for all of those who are in the company as his saints, the communion of saints. And on that day there will be no evil eye, but eyes which see the Lord and behold him as he has graciously saved you by his blood, as Job confessed when he said that he knows that his Redeemer lives. And the joy will be a shared joy, even as the Lord has shared his great and glorious work for your redemption, and he gives it to you freely. And the work in the vineyard will be over, because on that day the fruits will be consumed, as the choice wine overflows at that great feast. And that is no generosity to begrudge, but a generosity that knows no end, that enlivens your hearts with the joy which springs from this salvation which has come unto you by God's good grace and favor in Christ alone. Amen.